Good morning, beloved Covenant family. It is so good to be able to be together with you this morning, and I sure do miss you. We want to be able to extend a welcome to you who are our online friends. Thank you for inviting us into your home this morning. It's great to be with you. Kiddos, it's so good to see you. I miss seeing your faces and giving you hugs. I can't wait till the next time I get to see you. I wonder what you're going to do this afternoon. I'm curious if you have any plans. I also want to encourage you, kids, if you haven't already got something in front of you to draw with, grab some paper and some crayons or markers or something, because we'll need those in just a little bit. And finally, graduating seniors, we are so sad at the way this year is just kind of dissolved away for you guys, but we really are proud of you. You guys have done amazing work, and we are so excited to see, as God's hand is on your lives, how he'll lead you from here. This whole corona thing has messed up our plans, but none of this has messed up God's plans for your lives. Well, with that said, let's pray together. You are the God of the mountain and the God of the valley. Lord, as we open your word and as we let the truth of it sink into your hearts, remind us of the truth of that. And that there is nothing, there is nothing in this world that's better than you. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus, our King. And together God's people said, Amen. Well, this, as you know, is a suitcase. It's what you bring along with you when you take a trip or go somewhere, which is something we're not doing a lot of these days. And you put uh, stuff inside of it that you think you're going to need to have with you when you head off on your trip. I, um, I wonder if you kids have had the opportunity yet to pack your own suitcase all by yourself. That's a really big responsibility because you have to figure out what's the stuff that you're going to need and make sure you have it with you. And then you also have to decide, because there's not a whole lot of space in a suitcase, what you're going to leave behind. I don't know how many times in my life I've packed a suitcase to go somewhere. There, it must be thousands of times that I've done that. But I still feel stressed every single time I pack a suitcase. In fact, I invented a word for something that I do really pretty much every time I pack. It's called shuffling, which is a combination of the word shift and shuffle. Here's what I do. This is, this is the definition of the word. Shuffling means shuffling around from pile to pile, shifting back and forth, moving things around unproductively, the whole time saying, okay, uh, all right, okay. It's incredibly stressful for me, I think, because I'm not much of a detail person, so I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss something. Well, I want to share with you this morning about a time when God asked his people to start packing their suitcases. So before we go any further, I just want to make sure each of you have a drawing of a suitcase in front of you. There was a link at the end of Wednesday's emails to a little handout for kind of worksheet for today's sermon. If you don't have that, don't go back and find that. Just grab a blank piece of paper 
and draw a picture of an open suitcase, and we'll be using that as we go through the message. You can draw things that you'd want to put in it. Kids, you might think about what you would want to pack if you went on a trip and draw some of those things in your suitcase, and the rest of us can use it to jot down some ideas and to take some notes. So about three weeks ago, during my time with the Lord, actually, I'm going to leave this up here for a moment longer. About three weeks ago, during my time with the Lord, I was praying specifically about what he would want me to share for today's message. And he brought me to a really interesting idea. This is kind of an unusual way to do a sermon, uh, but it's something that has really been thought-provoking for me, and I thought it might be for you as well. So what he brought me to was the way that all the changes and all the losses that we've experienced going through this coronavirus thing, and there's still more to come, I'm afraid, they're not the same as, but in really interesting ways, they are parallel to all the changes and all the losses that the people of God experienced when God took them out of the land and took them off into exile. So just to remind you, really big picture overview. There are five stages of Old Testament history. God promises his people the land and brings them to it. Off they go into slavery in Egypt. He brings them back to the promised land. Off they go into exile in Babylon. And then he brings them back again to the promised land. And then that's when Jesus comes. So the time of the exile is this period of time between the late 500s BC when Nebuchadnezzar swooped in, conquered Jerusalem, burned down the temple, and took the leading citizens of the country and dragged them off to Babylon. It's the time between when that happened and when some of the Jewish people began to make their way back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. One of those trips happened in the early 500s, so about 50 years later, and that was led by a man whose name was Shesh Bazar, kind of a bizarre name, if you ask me. It's a, it's a Persian name, as we'll find out, but he was a Jewish man. And then about 80 years later, a priest named Ezra led some more Jewish people back from Babylon to Israel and to Jerusalem. And then a couple years after that, a guy named Nehemiah, a city official who was Jewish, he also went to help the the people of God rebuild the city wall. So, the exile. Against their will, the people of Judah were carried off into foreign territory. And when they were there, they were scattered among these uh, foreign people. It kind of parallels the way that we've been forced into this retreat, into our homes, and then all of these foreign approaches to work and to study and to life together that we've had to adopt since this whole corona thing began. So up until this point, up until the exile in Israel's history, the temple had been the center of their worship life. But now the temple was destroyed and the people were a thousand miles away from where the temple once stood. And as a result of that transition, their faith life began to change. How they did community together, how they did worship, 
even some of their beliefs began to shift around as a result of the influences of the Persian culture around them. So eventually, 50 years later for some, 120 years later for others, God brought the people back to the land, back to Jerusalem, just as we are confident that there is going to be a day when God brings all of us back here in this sanctuary and we all get to worship together again. Hopefully it won't take 50 years for that to happen, but it already feels like 50 years, doesn't it, that we've been apart from one another. So during the time that they were in exile, the faith life of the people of God began to shift. So when it came time to pack their suitcases to head back for home, they had some interesting sorting out to do. So what we're going to do this morning is to look at some of the things that are named in Scripture that the Jewish people brought with them from Babylon back to Jerusalem. We're also going to talk about some of the things that aren't named in Scripture that we know from other sources that they brought back with them. And then we're going to talk about how that has to do with us being called on to start to pack our bags to get ready for our return to whatever normal will look like when all of this is done. All right, so first, what does the Bible tell us about what the Jewish people brought back with them when they returned from exile? What did the Israelites put in their suitcases? And as we go through these, if there are some parallels that strike you to your own life and our own circumstances, if there are some things that you discover that God has actually tucked into your suitcase or some things that you really want to pack in your suitcase, just make sure that you add those onto your drawing in some way. So there are actually some pretty detailed lists of the things that the people of God brought back to Jerusalem with them. There's one list that we find in chapters 1 through 6 that described when uh, Shesh Bazar brought a large group of people back in, in the book of Ezra. And then starting in chapter 7 of the book of Ezra, we hear about Ezra himself bringing a group of people back. And there's some really interesting parallels between the, those two trips in terms of the things that they brought back with them. So let's look at some of the things that they brought with them. Now, obviously, the first thing that they would have put in their suitcases would have been rocks to bring back with them. Now, this is something that is just so obvious. So, of course, I mean, everybody brings back rocks from their trips that they didn't even think to include it. I think they just kind of took it for granted. Uh, so, they would have put in things like this very cool rock that I have from Merida, Mexico, or this really cool rock from Jamaica, or this cool rock that I brought back from Romania, or this very cool rock that I brought back from Nepal, or even this incredibly cool rock that I brought back from Ephesus, or one of a few hundred other rocks that I've brought back from my trips. So they would have had rocks in their suitcase, of course. I do um, remember a moment when I'd been on a trip to Turkey and to Israel to see some of the biblical sites, and we, I was with a large group of people. We got on the plane in Istanbul to return home, and the plane started going down the runway, and it, it sped up, and it sped up, and it just stayed on the runway for what felt like 15 minutes before it finally got up in the air. And at some point down that track, before the plane started to rotate up into the air, I heard a voice from way back behind the airplane. Somebody yelled, Henderson, how many rocks did you put in your suitcase? Well, 
you really need to know it was uh, <coughs> 31 pounds of rocks. Well, all right. So in addition to rocks, what else did they bring along with them? The first thing that's mentioned in both of these sets of lists is gifts that neighbors who surrounded them in this foreign country gave to them as parting gifts when they left. Chapter 1, starting at verse 4, the first trip, they were given silver and gold and goods and livestock and valuable gifts and free will offerings from the people. And then the second trip, chapter 7, starting in verse 15, silver and gold from the king, free will offerings from the people. It's really interesting, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, the prophet Jeremiah actually told the people as they were getting ready to be carried off into exile, he told them that this is how God wanted them to live. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carry you into exile. Well, obviously, they've really been faithful to that calling, and they have won the goodwill of their Babylonian neighbors. So I wonder about us as we think about this corona season during these days when we've all been forced into our homes, but we've been seeking to figure out what it means to stay faithful to our call to to put God first and be anchored to him and, and faithful to our call to stay connected to the people of God and faithful to our call to live out a life of love right among the neighbors that God has placed around us. I wonder, what are some of the gifts of goodwill that your neighbors have been giving to you during this time as they have seen your love for them and your regard and your care for them? There sure have been a lot from my neighbors Ale that was homemade and bacon that was home smoked and cookies that were homemade. Thank you, neighbors. Sure, I'm grateful to have you guys as neighbors. So the second thing that you see as you look through these lists is that they are bringing back with them some of the original tools and utensils that were used to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that had been destroyed. Chapter 1, verse 7 Gold and silver dishes, pans, bowls, and other articles that were used in the temple. And some more of them were brought back with Ezra 80 years later. Chapter 7, verse 19, articles for use in the temple. And anything else that they thought they might need to use in the temple, which is really an interesting picture of generosity. So I wonder, during these days of, the, of corona exile, as we've been worshiping online, what are some of the parts of our worship life that you have been cherishing and holding on to that you can't wait to put back into expression when we all get to be back together here in the sanctuary? What are some of the ways you've been continuing to practice a worship life in your home and in your hearts? And how are you eager to, to bring those things back with you when we're eventually back together? So here's the third thing that you see, and this is really emphasized in these lists in the book of Ezra, and that is all of the other believers, the people of God that they bring back with them when they uh, return from exile. Chapter 2, really the entire chapter is devoted to this description of all of these different families and hometowns from which all of these people, almost 50,000 of them, are returning to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, verses, starting in verse 1, there's a list of another 1,500 people who are going back with Ezra. I love the particularity of these lists. It doesn't just say a bunch of God's people returned. It goes on and on and on with a lengthy list of people with specific names from specific places and who are part of specific families. I mean, these are individual people 
who have become known by one another. They, they are people who matter to each other. In my ornery days, I'm not sure exactly when those ornery days came to an end, uh, but in my ornery days when people would ask me my favorite Bible verses, I would sometimes say Ezra chapter 2, verse 48, or Ezra chapter 2, verse 51. I'll let you look that one up on your own. All right, it is a lot of fun to try to say. So I wonder during these corona days, what particular people of God have become especially important to you? Who are you wanting to make sure you travel back with as we head back out of exile and into our return? Who do you want to keep in touch with? once this shelter-in-place business has come to an end. Who has become precious to you? Well, the last thing on both of these lists is basic supplies for day-to-day life. Supplies for the thousand-mile journey back, and then supplies for life after that. Chapter 2, horses, mules, camels, donkeys. Chapter 7, silver, wheat, wine, olive oil, and salt without limit. That's interesting. Notice that salt. We'll come back to that in a bit. So I wonder, as we are coming through this pandemic and as we come out to the other side of it, what daily provisions you have been able to look back and see have come to you from God's hand? How has he anticipated and met your every need? So those are the things that we are told that in Scripture that the people of God put in their suitcases and brought back with them from exile. But there are other things that we know from other sources that they brought back with them as well. And I think these are really interesting. What we know from other records is that the Jewish people brought back a number of elements of Persian culture. They brought back a number of new words, words for things like cinnamon and cotton and laws and decrees. And even interestingly, a word for time and a word for hurry or busyness, they brought back with them. They also brought back some of them Persian names instead of Jewish names, which is pretty significant. Uh, both the name uh, Shesh Bazar and the name Zerubbabel, which are significant in Ezra, are Persian names. And they also brought back with them some Persian ideas, some of which were absorbed from Zoroastrianism, which was the most popular religion that surrounded them in Babylon, and some other places as well. But when we look back at this time in Jewish history, There are three overwhelmingly significant things that the Jewish people put in their suitcases and brought back with them. The first of those was they brought back with them a love for the worship of God. So think about this. During the exile, when the people could no longer gather in the temple to worship, they started finding other ways to worship God. Offering yearly sacrifices was replaced by weekly worshiping gatherings in homes, in community centers, as the primary focus of worship. When the Israelites returned from exile, they brought back with them a new institution, which is called the House of Assembly. Beit Knesset is the name in Hebrew. Synagogue, something you've probably heard of, is the name that uh, it, it has in Greek. So located in every single town and city, A synagogue was a new center for the religious life of the Jewish people. It's where they would gather once a week on the Sabbath, and they would come together for prayer, for worship, and for scripture study. So even though they rebuilt the temple when they came back, the focus shifted from that single temple 
to these multiple neighborhood synagogues as the really vital and vibrant center of their worship life. And this focus on regular weekly gatherings for worship and prayer and scripture study that had become so important for them during the exile that really was the defining point of their life together as the people of God, that was wonderful. But unfortunately, something else slipped into the suitcase with that. Even though they brought back with them the temple utensils, the Israelites forgot to bring back from exile with them a memory of the significance of the temple. Why was there a temple in the first place? Well, that was how God, through this sacrificial system, had made a way from his side of the wall for sinful humanity to be in relationship with a holy God. A way that was intended to get the people ready to recognize and to receive their Messiah, their promised king, when he came. More on that in a moment. Okay, so the, when they came back from the exile, the Jewish people brought back a love for a life of worship together. They also brought back a love for the word of God. During the Babylonian exile, the study of scripture became absolutely central to Judaism. Alongside the priest, who was so important in the worship that took place at the temple, there was now a new role, the rabbi, who was the teacher and the interpreter of scripture. He would gather around him Talmudim students or disciples, and they would memorize the scriptures together, and then they would uh, learn about them, and he would teach them and help them to interpret the scriptures. And every Sabbath, the people of God would get together not just to pray and to worship, but they would also get together to hear the scriptures taught to them. And they'd even go back to the synagogue during the week for further opportunities for study. So this focus on the scripture was wonderful. But unfortunately, the Jewish people also put in their suitcases several things related to the study of scripture that were not so wonderful and really should have been left behind in Babylon. First, because they no longer focused on the sacrificial system, they shifted things around in a really unfortunate way. And instead of seeing right relationship with God as something given by God as gift from his side, they saw relationship with God as something earned, or at the very least maintained by us through our effort from our side. Specifically, and this is where it got a little twisted, through the obedience of all of the commandments in Scripture. So the wonderful old invitation in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, which means to revere him, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. That all got shortened to this, practically speaking. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Observe the Lord's commands and decrees. They completely lost track of the personal devotional side of faith, of the, the grace and gift dimension of faith. And it all boiled down to a system of rule compliance. So they came back with a new outlook, unfortunately, called legalism. The idea that they could comply their way into right relationship with God. So into their suitcases went something called a hedge, which was this massive whole system of additional laws that they came up with 
because they thought if they kept all of those laws, that would help them to obey all the laws that were actually in Scripture and required by God. And they lost track of their need for God, of their spiritual inability, and they saw themselves as being, instead, as being spiritually capable people, capable of living a life that fully met God's requirements. So among them, on their way back to Israel, was a passionate new group of lay people who, it turns out, were the predecessors of the Pharisees, the people that we see a lot of in the Gospels. And the Pharisees, their word actually means the separate ones or the pure ones, and what it means is we're going to separate ourselves, we the obedient ones who are pleasing God through our effort, we're going to separate ourselves from the rest of you riffraff. All right, here's, here's the third thing that the people of God brought back with them from exile. A love of worship of God, a love of the word of God, but also a love of the people of God. As a result of being thrown into this shared experience of exile in a foreign land, surrounded by strange people in a strange place, the Jewish people developed a deep love and affection for one another. You can see it in the long list of names that is listed as they return from exile together. So for the Jewish people, it turns out it wasn't just their spiritual life that's centered on the synagogue, but it was their relational life as well. Every day, the Jewish people would gather at the synagogue to interact with each other and enjoy each other's company. That's where their children were sent for school. It's even where they went for market during the week to buy and exchange goods between one another. So that deep, for, deep love for the people of God and that intentionality to draw close to one another, that was awesome. But unfortunately, it was coupled with a dark side, which was a pulling back from and even really a deep dislike for the foreigners that they had been made to live among. And unfortunately, that isolationist tone, you could even call it racist, that creeps through, it snuck its way into their suitcases on their return trip. So when Ezra arrives in Jerusalem, he's appalled at the practice of those impure people, he calls them, and talks about the corruption of those people. And he talks about their detestable practices, as though they were the ones who were pure, and those those foreign people, they were the ones who were somehow dirty. And then he says this to the people, the Jewish people coming back to live in Jerusalem. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time. Now that's a distortion of an earlier biblical command. As our Exodus chapter 34 tells the Jewish people not to intermarry with the Canaanites when they first moved into the promised land. But this isn't about race or ethnicity, this is about spiritual purity. What's at issue is the direction of spiritual influence. As you spend time with others who are outside of the faith, who is influencing who? Are you drawing them toward your beliefs and making them attractive, or are they drawing you toward their beliefs and making their beliefs attractive to you? So the Israelites were coming into a land originally they were coming to a land with child sacrifice and temple prostitution, all kinds of other twisted religious practices. And God did not want their faith to be compromised. But God's heart for the foreigner has always been one of welcome, not one of rejection. 
Listen to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. It says, the alien, the, the foreigner, the non-Jewish person living among you must be treated as one of your own native born. Love him as yourself. For you were once aliens in Egypt. So the Jews returning to Jerusalem have forgotten their charter for being. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And through you, all nations on earth will be blessed. Forgot that. The exile invitation from Isaiah has just slipped through their fingers. Isaiah 49. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those from Israel that I've kept. I have also made you to be a light for the Gentiles. And they lost track completely of Zechariah's wonderful promise if they remained faithful. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and they will say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Remember that salt without limit thing that King Artaxerxes encouraged Ezra to pack? Salt was important for keeping food fresh and it was actually used as currency in ancient days. But I think the real reason that Artaxerxes wanted them to send them with all of that salt has a deeper meaning. In the ancient Near East, salt was a symbol of hospitality. An ancient proverb said, by bread and salt, we are united. To have tasted or to have eaten someone's salt was to be on friendly terms with them. There is salt between us, means that we have committed ourselves to one another as friends. And to have eaten a bushel of salt together means that you're old friends. So I'm afraid that when the Jews returned to Jerusalem, they left all their salt behind. But they did bring back with them a love for the worship of God, a love for the word of God, and a love for the people of God. I wonder if those are things that may be in your suitcase as we return from exile. Okay, so let's turn to our story as we conclude. Do you have that drawing of the suitcase in front of you? For the past two months, we have found ourselves in this foreign land of sheltering in place. The church family has been scattered. Our worship life has been disrupted. Our efforts to stay anchored to God and stay connected to the people of God and stay faithful to living out a life of love all of those things have been challenged by all these restrictions that have been placed on us. But at the same time, there are more and more creative ways that we are finding to show love to one another and to show love to our neighbors and to show love and to live out a life of, of love to God. Things like end of the driveway neighborhood conversations or ninja deliveries at night on neighbors' porches. Things like cards and calls and prayers for one another. Things like like six feet apart outside walks and things like ring and runs at people's doors. So now there's time, there, there's talk in the air of us returning from exile. It may be weeks, it may be months, but eventually we'll be making our way back. So it's time to pull out our suitcase and to be thinking about what God would have us bring back with us, make sure we don't lose from this time of exile, and the things he wants to make sure we leave behind. There are a few things I know I'll be happy never to see again. I think the word Zoom has become a four-letter word for me. Beatles haircuts on men, not so fashionable. 
Uh, Cruella DeVille two-tone hair coloring for women, kind of in the same category. School years and graduations that just have kind of disappeared into the twilight zone, not my favorite thing. Creases on my face from wearing a mask, not my favorite either. We're not going to pack any of those things. But there are a few things that we know we want to take with us out of this corona season. Simpler schedules. More open expressions of affection between friends. Deepening connections and friendships with our actual neighbors, the people that God has put right around us. More walks. Finally, to getting to pick up that book we've always wanted to read or longer and less rushed quiet times or deeper intimacy with the Lord. It turns out, while we have been busy fighting the virus, God has been packing our bags for us. I wonder what wonders you'll find in your suitcase when you get back. From there? Well, first things first. I always say the place to hang a hat is on a hat stand. I much prefer seeing all of my face at the same time. But there was nothing in it. Never judge things by their appearance. Even carpet bags. I'm sure I never do. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. A little more light, perhaps. We better keep an eye on this one. She's tricky. She's wonderful. Much better. That's actually a pretty faithful description of what God is like. He's tricky. He can really surprise us in completely unexpected ways, and he is wonderful. So take a moment now, if you would, just to, with that suitcase drawing in front of you, think about some of the gifts that God may have already been packing into your suitcase during this exile time. And then think about the things you want to make sure you pack in alongside those things. As we return from exile, what do you want to make sure that you put in your suitcases? And what do you want to make sure that you leave behind? If you want to share with us any of the ideas that you have, uh, we're going to put our text number up on the screen. Send those along now, or uh, if you have an idea later, we'd love to see those things that you've put your finger on. And kids, if you've drawn a picture of something, I would love to see it. Have your mom or your dad drop it in the mail to me at the church, and I would really enjoy seeing your suitcase drawing. So let's take some time now as our worship team gets settled in and gets us ready for our closing song. And then over lunch, I want to encourage you to have a conversation. What are you going to pack in your bag?